From plants to machinery to the skilled staff that run them, automotive manufacturing in America is facing these challenges and more. Coming up next on AutoLine This Week. And now, here's your host, John McElroy. I want to thank you all for joining us on AutoLine This Week. We're going to be talking about jobs, specific jobs. You know, President Trump says he wants the auto industry to hire thousands more people. He wants them to build all kinds of brand new assembly plants. But that might not happen because we're facing a critical shortage of skilled tradespeople, and especially when it gets to tooling. I've got three experts who are going to talk about that today, including Jay Barron, the president and CEO for the Center of Automotive Research. Tim Marasco is the global director for stamping engineering at the Ford Motor Company. And Al Witted is the global head of press shop and dyes at Fiat Chrysler. He's also the president of AutoDye, a subsidiary of FCA. I want to thank you all uh, for coming on today's show. Thank you for having us. Uh, Tim, why don't I start with you? How bad is this crisis of not having enough people to make tools? Well, I think I think it's becoming very, uh, very critical. What's happened over the years with the uh, with the move into a into a global economy? What you what you what you saw was a lot of the tooling industries outside of the U.S. has actually progressed. They've they put on a lot of capacity and capability. In fact, now you see th- tooling uh, companies in China that are some of the best. In, in the world. So if you look at it, you say, okay, the United States on this, on this global um, footprint has kind of stayed the same in the space in the tooling industry when you have all these other areas in the world that has really advanced it. So this to the tooling industry, quite different today than it was just 10, 20 years ago on it, and the technology has advanced significantly. So we have a lot of catching up to do just with capacity, but also with the capability of where the technology is. And what that takes, one of those fundamental building blocks for it, is talent in order to do that. Al, what, what do you see? Well, and, and Crisis proportions? Yeah, and like Tim was saying, the, the other side of that is the lack of participation into the skilled trades as, as people enter into the workforce. You know, it used to be the, the case where we had a lot of people that would go into skilled trades apprenticeships programs and those programs are dwindling right now and it's very difficult to get people even into those programs. So it's kind of compounded with, with what's happening on the global market with the capacity and all, everything that's going on there and then the lack of, of people that are entering into the trades here. So it's a, it's a big problem and it's, it's greater than the tool and die industry and it even, you know, it, it could affect future vehicle launches and we, we need those people for every aspect of manufacturing. Jay, this is such a crisis that you're actually putting on a special conference to figure out what should the auto industry be doing. We, we are. We've been talking about this problem for a long time, uh, at least 15 years we've been talking about it. Uh, but I think it's really uh, coming home to roost here. And uh, the, ad- the idea of the conference was to bring all of the various <coughs> constituencies that have an interest that have to play a role to help uh, redirect this, this issue. So we're doing the conference uh, in April 24th and 25th. We call it T3. Uh, we're focusing on tooling. We have two tooling experts. Uh, but as, as Alice is saying, uh, this is a manufacturing crisis, not a tooling crisis. We're focusing on the tooling aspect of it. I, I always say uh, most problems uh, show up in tooling first. Uh, the tooling has always been a canary in the coal mine in terms of a predictor of, of, the, of a crisis, uh, a good predictor of what's going to happen in the auto industry two, three years down the road. Uh, you know, you can delay maintenance, you can delay design a little bit, uh, you can make uh, amends here or there, but you can't delay a launch. Uh, you need uh, uh, expertise to be able to launch those tools. And if you're going to delay a launch or postpone a launch, 
uh, or cancel it altogether. Uh, now you're talking thousands of jobs, uh, enormous uh, expense to the industry, uh, and there's, there's just no easy way to redirect uh, the trend, which has been a contraction of skilled trades. So we've got a lot of problems to talk about. We're going to talk about a lot of them at T3 at the conference. Uh, there's advancing technologies with new materials and new joining technologies. Uh, in other words, the tooling is getting more sophisticated and complicated uh, to design and to fabricate. It's not getting easier, it's getting harder. Uh, we're going to talk about one of the more interesting parts, I think, at the conference will be to look at the various business models that the industry has responded to. We have global footprints. We have companies that specialize in tryout. We have companies that specialize in engineering. Uh, we have an automaker that uh, owns a tool shop that uh, sources capacity to other, to uh, other automakers. Uh, a lot of different business models, and some of them work, and some better than others, and so on. So we have various uh, representatives from different business models that can talk about what works for them. I, I kind of liken it to the gas station. No gas station just sells gas anymore. There are convenience stores, there are lottery tickets, there's liquor, there's all kinds of things. Uh, but they're all different business models, and different things work for different folks. So these will all be bantered about at, at the conference. You know, it wasn't all that long ago the United States was number one in tooling. Absolutely. Within my career time, it Absolutely. was, how did we get into this mess? You know, uh, it's, it's a good question, uh, uh, John. And this is an area where I, I think we, the U.S. can definitely come back and lead and win in. Because um, I've, I've seen it. I've seen it played out where in uh, Japan, Korea, and then most recently in, in China, where this industry has come from dirt floor and, and lanterns up to, up to some of the best uh, tool shops in the, in the industry. I think we've got in this space just because it's a very capital-intensive type of uh, business, it takes a very coordinated effort. It takes a coordinated effort between universities, governments, the industry. Um, and if you get that coordinated effort and you focus on it with those, with those uh, different uh, legs, we can accelerate, we can, we can get after this. Um, I think that focus, that coordinated effort between the parties ha hasn't been there. We, we, we lost our focus on it. We said, okay, this is a type of business that we could play in, in and have other people invest in, both in talent and the technology and, and the capacity. I think it's become too critical, especially with the advancements of, of the technology, but also the speed to market you need now with, uh, with the product cycle that's more competitive with what's happening with, with the technology and the technology uh, industry. It, it's, it's needed to be a leader in the, in the U.S. And, and it can happen. We can win at this. If we focus on it, our core competency is if there's a crisis, we can solve it and we can win at it. You agree with that? Absolutely. Um, I think the, the leadership is here, the equipment is here, the talent is here. What we need to focus on, and, and we need to work together on this, and this is one of the things we're going to discuss at T3, is how do we grow that? How do we get people interested in, let's, let's talk specifically about tool and die industry, how do we do that? How do we get the average high school person to understand that our facilities are very different than what they might think they are. When you go into, into our facilities, I mean, they're world-class facilities. Our equipment is highly technical in nature. There's a lot of advancement that goes on. We've got laser technology, robot technology, all kinds of automation. And these are good-paying jobs to boot. And these are great-paying jobs, and they're career-type jobs as well. So we need to do a much better job of promoting that and getting those kind of people interested in that portion of the of the manufacturing uh, uh, footprint, and we can get them into the skilled trades base. There's so much 
reporting in the media these days that oh, all the manufacturing jobs are going to go away, it's all going to go to automation, and you're not going to need tooling, you're just going to 3D print everything. How do you react to that? <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> you know, a, a skilled trade is, is like a, an electrician or a plumber. You can't outsource it to another country. It's got to be done locally. You launch these factories and this, you, you, you plug stuff in. It doesn't all work when you plug it in. It's got to be debugged and fine-tuned. Mm -hmm. uh, it's called the launch phase of, of, a, of a factory. Uh, that's got to be done locally. And th so the question is, how do you develop the pipelines of those skilled trades to can learn th that expertise? Right. That's what we have to uh, correct. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, we, we, have to, we have a global business model today. We have low-cost countries that can provide relatively cheap labor. Uh, I've never heard a complaint about the local engineering or the local talent capability, uh, but we've got to reestablish the pipelines so that uh, we've got to figure out how to work locally with the talent and the expertise with the advantage of proximity to these plants uh, with low-cost labor, uh, and, or maybe sometimes you take the labor element out of it uh, and so that labor is not a big co component of, of, a, of a tool or something. So there's different ways to approach this, this, this challenge, but we've got to resurrect these pipelines uh, that have that we've lost over the years. Yeah, and when and when you're in a plant and you're running production, <coughs> and one of those robots decides that it doesn't want to work, the the most important person in that plant is the skilled <laughs> trades guy that knows how to get over there and get it fixed. Yeah. yeah. So you're saying automation is not going to wipe out these kinds of jobs. Definitely. Yeah, I, I, I would I would say um, technology will always advance itself, and that's a good thing. And 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 you and you can't you can't stop it. Um, and in our business, in the tooling industry, it, it should be embraced. It absolutely should be embraced a lot more here in, in, the, uh, in the U.S. You have pockets of excellence. Like some of, our, some of our tool shops are absolutely, I think, some of the best in the, in the world. But that advancement of, of technology always takes, you know, skilled trades and engineers behind it to say, you know what, I, can, I take things from the virtual world in, into the physical world. Mm -hmm. I, I know how to get things made from, from digital in, into the virtual. It'll always take that skill level. That will always be there. It just takes a different set of, of, of capability in those people where no more are you taking it where you, where it, the, the competitive advantage is just on my, my cost per labor hour of a person because the person isn't sitting there and they're, they're grinding or they're hand stoning. Everything is very engineering intensive. Everything's being done uh, digitally, when you see an issue, you don't go into the tool, you go back into the CAD, you go back into the engineering. So there's this perpetual continuous loop of learning on it. So you get better and better in that virtual world. That virtual world then therefore stimulates even more growth to advanced technology, like you're talking 3D printing. Well, yeah, we could, there, there, 3D printing is coming. Is it going to happen in, in parts? No, but it will definitely happen with tooling and different components of tooling where I can 3D print it. And then a lot of the traditional stuff that you've done before doesn't, doesn't uh, you know, gets mitigated. That and that technology advancement is where the U.S. can win absolutely can win in the world because we have that drive for that innovation to 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 surpass and lead the world in that technology on it i think a lot of people look at it and say okay well you got the china wages here or whoever else is the india wages and stuff and go go chase that yep that model in the past uh worked and everybody chased it today yeah. it's all about the technology and the capability and, and the, I, I would challenge anybody that if you had a tool room that had all the advanced technology with all the capability in the U.S., they could compete on cost and timing and quality than anybody else in the world. Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
Okay. Well, what kind of wages are you talking about? Why, how do you entice people to get in here? What, what kind of money are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, you, you can... We see wages in the tool and die industry anywhere from if you if you start out on the shop floor, we bring people in at twelve dollars an hour, and we start them out on the shop floor. They work their way up, and they go through the various aspects of the tool and die industry, anywhere to to thirty dollars an hour. I mean, you can and that there's overtime associated with that. I mean, when times are very very busy, so you can certainly make a very good living, and and you can even do better than that as well. So oh, that's and right. that. And the, and the, the, the tool and die skilled trades portion of it, too, uh, a lot of people use that as a stepping stone, right? And that leads on to other careers, you know, the careers with, with the OEMs where they go into, you know, management level positions, leadership positions. So having that skilled trades background is huge. It's, it's no longer just, you know, coming out of a university and, you know, go, go lead the troops, right? Um, at, at FCA, we've developed a program we call it our die rotational program, where we take uh, folks that are interested and, and they're people that we look at from a, a future leadership perspective. And they may be mechanical engineers that haven't had a lot of you know, they have mechanical engineering degrees and they haven't had a lot of experience with dies. We start them out and we take them, it's a two-year period, and we take them through every aspect of die manufacturing. We start them in the clay studio working with the parts, and then they go all through the engineering portion of it, the die manufacturing portion of it, and then also into the production portion of it when we get into the plant. So when they come out, they've got a much better understanding of the, the tool and die trade. And we're also doing the same thing. We're going to be starting a new program with equipment engineering. Um, we've, at FCA, and, and Tim is the same way, we've invested uh, uh, quite a bit of money over the last few years into our facilities with our new equipment. And the new equipment that we have is some of the latest and greatest technology in the world. So we not only need people to help run that equipment and make sure that it runs properly, but we need people to help lead those people. And those people need to understand how that equipment operates. So we do the same thing with them. We take them through the inner workings of a press, all of the, the, the front of line aspects, all the end of line automation, everything from, from front to back so they understand it fully and they can help lead those people in the future. Okay, so you, you can start out fairly reasonable. You can work your way up to good money, maybe even into a management position. Jay, what's the solution here? I mean, you're, you're holding this conference. We've touched on it peripherally. What's the solution? There's no obvious one solution uh, to this problem. Uh, you know, we don't want, it's, it's not an issue of just having more people. Uh, if, if, you know, it's, it's fine to have a, a, an objective to bring more jobs back to the U.S. Um, <clears throat> what we need is uh, well-paying jobs and apprenticeship-type jobs. That's where the constraint is in manufacturing. And I think um, we have trouble attracting people into the apprenticeships, but also the, indus the industry is going to push back a little bit and say, you know, we're sourcing a lot of work overseas. Uh, you know, we, we've lost some of the critical mass <coughs> to train people on. Some of that's going to be done locally. Um, but on the other hand, we, ha we can get costs down lower, at least in the short term, by going overseas. So this is where it comes, you know, so now it's okay. Now we have to balance that and figure out mm -hmm. uh, there's going to be some government intervention perhaps or some involvement. Uh, maybe we incentivize uh, keeping uh, investment to keep certain types of talent here or types of the, of the pro apprenticeship process. Uh, does, it does it take 10 years to become a tool and maker? That's a long time for a person to make a commitment. Uh, how do we overcome that and, and accelerate somebody moving through these these levels. Uh, so there's, there's a lot of different angles that really have to come to play, um, and we've got to figure that out. So that's, that's why at the conference that we've been talking about, 
uh, we brought in uh, academia, people that represent uh, the community colleges that work with these programs. Uh, we have we, we actually have five automakers, um, six coming when I spoke to yesterday that uh, wanted to remain nameless, but they will be there. Uh, but it's Ford, uh, GM, uh, FCA, Toyota, Honda are all going to be there. Uh, <clears throat> they all see this as a big problem that we all have to address. This is not a you know, every company, every one of these car companies has their own way of trying to address this. Nobody is 100% successful, and, and we have to, we're trying to share different ideas about what works for you. Maybe we can try this over here and try to come up with a more comprehensive model. So we, we have academia, we have automakers, we also have the tool and die guys, uh, the suppliers that see it from another, another side, because they're seen to a large extent as, as where the pipeline starts to start getting people into the industry, uh, and in some cases feeding uh, the automakers uh, with some of this talent, so this, uh, the handshake agreement with these companies has to be agreed on as, as to how we're going to work. Um, so we have government, uh, we have the state government obviously training, they put a lot of money into apprenticeship training and, and work skill training. Um, <coughs> uh, so I, like I said, there's just no one simple solution. I, I think there's a lot of different solutions and we have to figure out what, what package is going to work for us. Tim, you touched on it too, what are some of more of your thoughts? How do we get this turned around? Well. Uh, John, what, what, is, what is refreshing to know is there's blueprints out there of how it's been done before. It was done in Japan after uh, the World, World War II. It's done, it was done in Korea then after that. And most recently in my career, I went over there in, in, in China in 2002. It literally was, you went into tool shops, it was dirt floor and lanterns. Today you go over to these tool shops that are the biggest in the world and they have, if not some of the best capability um, with exotic materials, building complex tools, and they have the engineering uh, capability, you know, that gets it done in the speed that, that's, that's demanded now. And we're always crunching that, that, uh, that cycle plan, that speed to market. Now, so that, that's there. So it can be done in the U.S. I think uh, uh, Jay hits on a, a very good point, but it needs to be a coordinated effort. That's what I saw in, definitely in, in, in China. You need to have all the players at the table. They all need to be committed, like the turkey on Thanksgiving, and they need to say, <laughs> you know what, we're going to go after this, and it's an outstanding time to do it because the technology and, and the engineering requirements in, in this space, in the virtual space for body and white and stampings, and in tooling, is going to accelerate. It's not going to plateau. It's not going to go down. It's only going to start accelerating be, because there's so many people that understand the speed to market that is required, and there's so much software and technology that's coming in to this, to this industry that says, you know what, you don't need to, to hand rework all this stuff or hand work this stuff. You don't need all these people. You need, you need the brains behind it to make it engineering intensive. You need to do things with 3D type of printing, with, 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 with scanning, with reusability of shoes and stuff. When you start getting it, your, your cost structure starts to collapse and your speed to market starts to increase very rapidly. I think it's just a, it's a, it's a sweet spot for the U.S. right now to say, you know what, it's a really good time that we start getting all the players at the table, like Jay is, is, is coordinating, so that we can start getting focused on this and, and we can really start accelerating in this space to, to become a world leader um, in, in, the, in the tooling industry. I definitely, I'm, um, I'm very uh, committed that, and confident that it, that it can be done. Because I've seen it done. I've seen it done in, in, like I said, in areas in Asia where, yeah, we led it to, to, to figure out how they can engineer exotic materials and do this type of stuff. 
We already have all that brain power here. We already have all that technology here. It just needs to be coordinated and applied. And, and then once you get this, this uh, horse out of the barn, it's, it's going to run. Hmm. It is what will run. Al, anything to add to that of how yeah, to get this turned I, I, around? I, I would agree with that. I, I'm, I think that certainly the, the leadership is here, the talent is here. Uh, I would encourage any young man or young woman get into the skilled trades, right? I, there's a ton of opportunity there. And like what we're talking about too, with it's this is a group effort and it's kind of a, a perpetual thing that has to happen with, you know, with the tool and die shops, if if we can put the work in the tool and die shops, that helps them from a cost perspective. And that helps them invest in new technology. It helps them invest in, in uh, um, new programs, apprenticeship programs. It helps them become more attractive for people that would want to get into the skilled trade. So we start growing that, that base and that, that understanding. And then it, it, from that aspect, they get better, our costs get better, we all get better, and, and that's mm -hmm. how this whole thing works, and we have the opportunity to keep it here. Mm -hmm. Jay, isn't one of the problems, too, or the challenges for the tooling industry, the way that the car companies pay these tooling companies? Lori Harbor from Harbor uh, Results, as you know, has identified that costs a lot to do all this tooling and you don't get paid until you deliver the final product. It might take a couple of years to get that done. We all want to get paid faster and quicker uh, and upfront, uh, but that's just not going to happen. It's the same. Uh, it's the same deal with um, when a car company sources a tool to company A versus company B. They generally are offering the same terms to everybody. So it's relative to that. It's a level playing field. Um, when you start talking about overseas versus domestic tooling, that might be a different story. But there's a lot of differences between. There's a lot more differences than just the payment terms when you start talking about overseas. There's two weeks loss on the boat coming over here. There's added costs, program manage the tools over there. Uh, the tools don't come back. You can't put the engineering changes on at the last minute. Mm -hmm. There's all kinds of trade-offs. So you can't just look at payment terms. Payment term, yes, we'd like to all get paid faster. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Um, uh, and some companies do pay faster than other companies. Um, <clears throat> but that is, that is not the deal breaker. That's just, that's just one piece of the equation, I think. Mm -hmm. Okay, you guys have identified that we're at a tooling crisis in the United States. How are other countries doing? Is this not an issue overseas that they're able to get young talent to come in, or, or, or do they? Well, from, uh, from my experience, especially uh, in, uh, in Asia, and I'll, I'll talk again about, about China, it's a very coordinated effort where they actually have programs, and they, and they do it by, by area, so they centralize certain certain areas on, on how many tool shops in the industry, and then they actually have feeder pools. So they actually are, are, are educating people in, in these trades to go into these companies. And actually, um, what you do see, in, and I've been there, is you, you'll, you'll go into some of these companies, which will have literally, you know, 100 plus engineers sitting on a floor with, with uh, you know, uh, CATIA and CAD um, computers, and not, not have the work yet. But, but it's, it's a core industry that they say, you know what, we need to develop, we need to invest in. So therefore, in the long term, we do have the capability and the, and the capacity. So therefore, they front-loaded it. And now they have this, this system in place where, you know what, there's so many of these, these uh, um, engineers or the, these trade, skilled tradespeople coming out all the time that there's always an ample amount of, of of people feeding into this industry as it, as it continues to keep, keep and growing. And the growth of it is being dictated by 
those resources. So if you looked at what happened in, in, in China, well, the easy one, because money, money is, is easy to, to, to spend, oh, buy this many machines, this many, okay, they can go do that. But where they kind of got stuck, which they, they thought, okay, this is really what we need, is the only way that capacity and capabilities created is to have the people being able to do the engineering, to do the building of the tools and, and understand it. So they realized that they said, okay, this many people we'll funnel into the, we'll educate and funnel into these industries, into the tooling industries every year. And they kept on doing that as their market just kept on growing on it. And now, like I said, there's over, there's over 60 tool shops today that we use, that we've developed over there that are, that are, very, that are very capable. You know, and then you look at the U.S. How many's in the in the U.S. Yeah. and the size of this market? Yeah. You know, so uh, and and I think though, and and we talked about it even even on the on the on the cost model. Yeah, we we look at the cost and we look at it very superficially and say, okay, go chase the lowest cost. Investment. But I but again, I I am a big um, uh, supporter of you know what if you follow that path of technology. And stuff like this, you're gonna if you create that organizational capabilities in that industry, you're gonna find ways to do things cheaper, faster than how they've already been traditionally done. And and that's what our advantage is here in, in North yeah, America, because yeah, sure. we it, innovate it, like this. And, and so we're, we're teaching everybody else, but if you just let it come here, the, it will take off. And all of a sudden, we'll, we're going to do things in the tooling industry that would shift it significantly. And everybody else would try to be catching up to that. In, in support of what Tim's saying, I always say, keep on making cars complicated to make, because our engineering is second to none in the world. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, and they're always complicated every year. We, we're always going to higher strength steels, more aluminum, more composites, and, and more fancy joining technologies. Uh, and as, if they're this complicated, you can't send it to just an unskilled labor uh, resource. So um, that gives us a competitive advantage, at least technologically. And then if you have these more advanced design systems, uh, uh, you look at some of these new processes, hot forming is an example. It's a very sophisticated technology. You can't just make a part out of these very, very high strain steels and expect it to work. Never mind, you can't weld it on stuff. Uh, you have corrosion issues and so on. So all these new issues come about. Um, well, you're not going to resolve the introduction of these complex materials if it's done all done overseas, mm -hmm. you need uh, you need trained people and technology, and that's mm -hmm. that's something that we have. And you know uh, we we haven't talked about the pressure of the regulations to keep making cars lighter and safer at the same time, Absolutely. and those are two conflicting mm -hmm. uh, objectives. So what your long story short is there's good job security in this. Good job security, and it's not going away. Yes. I, I really appreciate yeah. what you guys brought up. We didn't even get into the point that there's a national security issue that goes along with this, too. It's not just the automotive industry. Absolutely. We'll do that on another show. But I want to thank all three of you for coming in and sharing this with yeah. us today. Thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you for having us.